Well, good morning. My name is Matthew Smith, and it is a blessing and an honor to be able to fill in for Chad this week as he is away. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Jude. The book of Jude is, uh, if you're not familiar with the book of Jude, maybe you've never uh, looked at that or heard a sermon preached on that before, or maybe you even need help finding it, let me uh, help you out. If you turn to the back of your Bibles, you will see the book of Revelation, then turn to the beginning of Revelation, and that one page, maybe two pages, that come right before Revelation chapter one, that's Jude, okay? So we're gonna be looking at uh, this, this very short letter that was written to the church. We're gonna be uh, focusing on what uh, Jude had to say to those people and what God has to say to us today as we finish up uh, this, this sermon series called His Legacy. We're, we're finishing this up today. It's the, the last book of the New Testament before we get to the next phase of this uh, actually two-year-long journey through all the books of the Bible. That, so uh, Chad, Lord willing, will be back next week, and he's actually gonna have a standalone message called Whatever It Takes as we look more towards uh, some of the vision uh, that we have as a church staff, and he is our lead pastor for uh, what's coming up for Colonial Heights. But then two weeks from today, he will begin walking us through that last book of the New Testament, Revelation. Uh, but, uh, so we've got good things coming up, good things that we should be excited for, but we don't wanna get too far ahead of ourselves because I believe God has good things in store for us today as we look to the book of Jude. So like I said, the book of Jude was written by Jude and he actually introduces himself in verse one. It says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. And so that tells us that uh, he is a servant of Jesus, but that, that second part, the brother of James, is actually really interesting because we know from a previous sermon that as we were walking through the New Testament that James, the author of the book of James, is actually the half-brother of Jesus. So, so obviously, uh, Mary gave birth to Jesus while she is a virgin, but then she was already engaged to marry Joseph, and so they did get married, and they had children of their own. We know that James was one of them, but also our author today, Jude, the brother of James, uh, is, is also the half-brother of Jesus. And it's interesting, he says, I'm the brother of James, but I'm the servant of Jesus. James is my brother, but Jesus is my Lord and master. And, and he's writing to, we see that next, uh, to those who are called, beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. And so that tells us that Jude is writing to other Christians, other believers. And so he's also speaking to us as Christians, as believers today. But what we're gonna see is that he's writing to Christians who were formerly of the Jewish faith. Because we're gonna see that he's got a lot of references there's like one section where she's like reference after reference after reference to Old Testament stories. And he doesn't explain who any of those people are. He's writing to them and expecting them to already know. So he knows that he has a predominantly ethnically Jewish audience, but these are Jewish people who have come to know Christ as Savior. And his purpose for writing is to alert them of the danger of false teachers. See, in, in their day, they, they, were, they were the early church. The church had only been around for a few years at this point, and uh, everything was going really well, but then these false teachers start creeping in, and they began declaring uh, uh, 
things that run contrary to the truth of God's word. And so uh, these false teachers are leading people astray. And so Jude wants to alert us to this problem. So the first thing that we need to look at is the fact that Jude said that we need to declare the truth. We need to declare the truth. We need to declare the truth about all these false teachers. We need to let everybody know that there are false teachers in our midst and we need to know everything about them so that we can identify these false teachers and that we can run them out of the church or we can run away from them so that we are not led astray. So we need to declare the truth and we need to do this with urgency. We need to declare this truth with urgency. So in, in verse three, he actually says, let me just go ahead and read uh, verses three through, uh, three through seven real quick. And that's, we're gonna actually read most of this letter throughout the, uh, throughout the sermon. But verse three says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So the first thing that Jude wants to do is warn us about the danger of false teachers. And there is an urgency about this. You see, in verse three, he said that, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, appealing for you to contend for the faith. So, so imagine this, Jude actually had a completely different letter that he wanted to write. He wanted to write to these Christians about our common salvation. And that's good news. Like, we all have salvation in Jesus Christ. That's good news. But something came up. An emergency in the church, like, arose, and he said, like, I don't have time to talk about that anymore. We've got to address this emergency, this fact that these false teachers have come in. So I'll just give you a little bit of insight into how things sometimes work in the Smith household. So my, my beautiful wife, Brandy, and some, maybe some of you can relate to this, she has an aversion to any type of bug or insect or pest that creeps into our house. And so uh, it doesn't matter what we're doing as a family, if she sees anything, a spider, a bug, any other kind of insect, all those other things have to be put on hold until somebody kills the bug, right? So uh, I could be like playing with the kids or giving them a bath or like I'm in seminary right now. Maybe I'm writing a paper at the table. It's like, no, none of that matters anymore. There is a bug in the house and it has to be addressed. It was actually really similar to what is happening with Jude. 
He's got something pretty important going on. He wants to write to everybody about the common salvation that we have in Jesus. But an emergency comes up. There are people who, like some of those insects into our homes, they have crept into the house of God. And it is vitally important that, they, that this situation be addressed, this situation be dealt with. There's great danger. And so he's warning us of this great danger. And, and in verse four, he kind of tells us how dangerous they are. He says that they have uh, crept in unnoticed, then they long ago were designated for condemnation. These false teachers are headed down a path that leads to eternal condemnation for them. They are ungodly people and they are perverting the grace of our God into sensuality. We actually don't know. He doesn't tell us what these false teachers were proclaiming. So we don't know what, uh, these, what false truths were out there, what they were leading people to think or to do. All we know is that it went against scripture. And that worst of all, the end of verse four, he says that they are denying our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. See, there's e eternal consequences here. This is a very dangerous situation because if they are denying Jesus and they're teaching in the church, that means other people might deny Jesus and there, are e there is eternity at stake. And so we've got to address this situation. Like I said, we don't know what they were teaching and so I was actually pretty tempted to maybe even address some false teachings that are out there in the world today. Look at some of these, uh, some of these people who are proclaiming, maybe even on like a grand scale, proclaiming things that go against scripture. But that would pretty much take up all the time we have today, right? So what we need to do is instead of looking to all the, the falsehoods that exist in the world, we have to do exactly what all the songs that we were singing today tell us to do to look to Jesus, to fix our eyes on Jesus, to fix our eyes on the true faith that we have in, our, in the one true Savior and Lord. We have to be aware of the danger of these false teachers. And then next, he warns us about the destruction of false teachers. So I am a former school teacher and, uh, and so I've been to several conferences and tried to, uh, tried to, when I was a teacher, I tried to study about how to be a better teacher. And now I'm a parent and I've kind of done the same thing with uh, how to be a better parent to my kids. And so there's a lot of ideas out there on how to manage a classroom or manage a household and raising kids up or teaching them. And so uh, there's these two categories you're probably familiar with whenever you need to deal with issues of discipline. It's either like, positive reinforcement or negative reinforcement, right? So the negative side is if you go into a classroom and they've got the, the list of rules that say, do not do this, do not do this, do not do this. And if you do any of those things, here are the consequences. Here's the punishment that you're gonna receive, right? That's negative reinforcement. On the other hand, you get positive reinforcement, which is here are all the things we want you to do. We want you to listen and pay attention. And then when you do those things, here's the reward you're going to receive, like positive reinforcement. I don't know about you guys, but the one that I like to receive is the positive reinforcement, right? And that's actually what everybody says that you should do. That's like all the good books out there, they emphasize the positive reinforcement. Well, unfortunately for us today, Jude apparently did not get the memo. 
what he does next is just go through a list of negative consequences that we've already seen in the pages of Scripture, that they are headed down a path and they are leading others down a path that leads to destruction. So in verse five that we read just a minute ago, he says, let me remind you about, the, about Jesus leading, about God leading the people, the ancient Israelites, out of the land of Egypt. So that was a good thing, but once they got, uh, they were on their way to the promised land, they got to the point where they were about to go in and they sent these spies ahead of them. And those spies, two of them came back with a good report, say, yeah, we need to enter into the land that God has given us and trust in him that he's gonna fight our battles for us. But then the rest of them came back with this negative report and said, there's no way we're ever gonna be able to do this. And there were so many people who were led astray by that unfaithful report. And so God punished them and said, yeah, I'm eventually going to take you into the promised land, but it's not gonna be for another 40 years. Before we go, all these unfaithful people, we gotta wait for them to die of old age first. And then he gives another Old Testament example. He talks about the angels who are in heaven. There's a lot of debate over what specific angels he's talking about. All we know is that for sure is that these are angelic beings that were created with the purpose of bringing glory to God and serving God. But he says they have left their position of rightful authority. They have fallen from God. They have turned away from God. And they are now in eternal chains and under gloomy darkness until they are awaiting their final judgment. And then in verse seven, he talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. Earlier, he said that these false teachers were perverting the grace of our God into sensuality. And now he's talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. So even though we don't know exactly what these false teachers were proclaiming, he would, they, we do know that they were leading others into sexual immorality. And so he reminds them about Sodom and Gomorrah and the sexual depravity that was going on in those cities. And we remember how it turned out for them. How God just rained down fire and burning sulfur on them. And he says that the people who are being led astray by the false teachers today and these false teachers themselves, they are going to serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Hey, the, the good times, they just keep on coming. All right, if we look to verse 11, he's got three more Old Testament examples. Skip down there, he says, woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain, and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. So, so just back to back to back, three more examples of false teachers or, or people who did not follow in the truth. So we've got Cain. That's probably, out of these three, that's probably the one that most people are familiar with. So he had a brother named Abel and they both presented offerings to the Lord and God uh, had favor on Abel because he presented a better offering but instead of trying to, to follow in Abel's example and do better, Cain responded in jealousy and hatred and murdered his brother. And so Cain was cast out. And in the same way, these false teachers need to be cast out from the church, but they are ultimately going to be cast out of the presence of God. 
Then we've got, after Cain, he's, we've got Balaam, and you can read about Balaam in the book of Numbers. He's a false prophet who uh, was actually paid to infiltrate the Israelite camp and to lead people astray, which is exactly what he did, but he met his ends by being put to death by the sword. And then, actually, my favorite story out of these is this guy named Korah. You can also read about him in the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 16. Korah led a rebellion. See, Moses was leading the Israelites, but Korah decided he didn't like the way Moses was doing things. So he, he gets a bunch of other folks in the Israelite camp to plot a rebellion against Moses. So Moses says, all right, God, what do we need to do about this? And so God says, all right, we just get everybody away as far as you can from Korah and his people. Like split everybody up, Korah's folks over here, Moses and all the faithful Israelites over here, and just sit back and watch what happens. And then what happens is it says that the ground underneath Korah split open and the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed them. It's leading to destruction. Like We need to take this very seriously because God takes this very seriously. There's some serious and swift punishment for those who would lead God's people astray. Like Even as, as, a, as the teacher, as the one who's up on stage right now preaching, this is something that I need to take very seriously. Like The book of James talks about how we should not all want to be teachers because teachers are going to be held to a, a higher standard, a stricter standard. And so today, I wanna make sure that everything I say is right and true because I'm gonna stand before God one day, and, but even right now, I do not want the ground to eat me. <laughs> this, is, this is serious. This is, so he gives us a description of these false teachers. How do we know when we're in the presence of these false teachers? How can we, as a church, identify them? And he actually uses like, several metaphors or analogies to describe what these people do. So let's read verses 12 and 13. He says, these are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by the winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. All right, so there's a lot, like I said, there's a lot of pictures here. And so let's kind of take these pretty quickly. So first he says they are hidden reefs at our love feasts. All right, so let's first of all, let's not be distracted by the love feasts things. That might sound a little weird to us, but most of the commentaries and things that I was reading about said that that was just times when the people of God would get together and enjoy like a big meal together. It was a time of great fellowship. And so just imagine a good old Southern Baptist potluck, right? Just getting together, enjoying some really good food and some sweet fellowship. But unfortunately, these false teachers were among them. They were eating right along with everybody else. And he says that they are hidden reefs. So the idea is that if, you were, if you're in a boat and you're going out on the water, and the, maybe the water even looks real calm and everything's peaceful. But underneath the water, you may not be able to see that there is danger underneath the surface because there's these reefs, these coral reefs have kind of grown up. And if you go over it without realizing it is there, it can cause damage to the bottom of your boat, potentially even causing it to sink. 
So if we allow these false teachers in our midst, allow them to, to talk to people and to fellowship with people and to eat right alongside of us, there can be danger lurking beneath the surface that could sink the church. Secondly, he says they are shepherds feeding themselves. Well, a good shepherd is gonna be primarily focused with feeding his sheep. And a good pastor is going to be primarily focused on feeding his sheep, the congregation, on the word of God. That's what, uh, when Peter and Jesus were on the beach and, and Jesus was, uh, was forgiving, reinstating Peter for his previous sin of denying him three times, he, he asked, him Jesus, or asked him, Peter, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord. And so he said, feed my sheep. Well, these false teachers are not interested in feeding the sheep. They only wanna serve themselves. Next, he says they are, actually the next two kind of go together. First, he says they're waterless clouds and they are fruitless trees. And so the idea with both of them is that clouds, these clouds are supposed to provide nourishment. Like if you, typically for us, we don't enjoy seeing like a lot of clouds in the sky, especially with some of the, the bad weather that we just went through. But for the farmer, clouds in the sky are a really good thing, right? We know that the rains are coming and it's going to provide uh, water and nourishment for our crops. But if these are waterless clouds and they just fly overhead and don't ever do anything, and they didn't provide anything for us. Same thing with the fruitless trees, like fr trees are supposed to bear good fruit for us to eat and enjoy. But he says these trees are not providing anything, no food, not bearing any fruit. So they are twice dead and need to be uprooted. And then he also calls them wild waves. And again, wild waves, another kind of boating analogy. They can, as you go out into the, into, the, into the seas and there are wild waves, it can be very dangerous and again, can cause the boat to sink. And he says, these waves, when they, they, when waves, when they capsize, when they, are, they, um, when they break and so they, they, the foam comes up onto the shore, we see that, sh that foam left behind. It says, there, that the foam from these waves is actually what they're leaving behind is their own shame. And then he calls them wandering stars. So back in the ancient world, the time of the New Testament, that was before everybody had cell phones with turn-by-turn -turn GPS navigation. And so if you were traveling, especially at night, you had to look up to the sky to kind of figure out where you were. So you would look at the stars and you would use that to help you navigate. So if you could locate the North Star, you know you're headed north and you can just figure out the other directions based on that. But he says these false teachers are wandering stars. So if a star is moving around all the time, you can't get your own bearings based on what that star is doing. So we need instead to focus on the truth of God's word that is unchanging focus on Jesus Christ who is unchanging so that we can rest assured that we are going to be led in the right direction. So we need to declare the truth about these false teachers. We need to know everything there is to know about them so that we can identify them. But in addition to declaring the truth about the false teachers, we need to, we need to defend the faith. We need to stand up for the true faith. If we look back up to verse three, he says, like, I had this other letter about our common salvation that I wanted to write, but I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith 
that was once for all delivered to the saints. So we need to contend for the faith. We need to defend the true faith. Stand up for it and speak out for it so that other people would not be led astray. So how do we go about doing this? Let me pick up reading in scripture with verse 17. He said, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ they said to you in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So how do we go about defending the faith? First, we need to remember God's warnings. Remember God's warnings. You see, we should not be at all surprised that there are false teachers out in the world, and we should not be at all surprised that those false teachers in the world have infiltrated the church today. And the reason why we shouldn't be surprised is because Jesus himself told us it was going to happen. He gave us lots of warning in advance that this was going to be a situation we were going to have to face. So Jesus in Matthew 7 talks about uh, how they are wolves in sheep's clothing. So they, they look like us, maybe they act like us, but they are actually seeking to devour us. Then in the book of Acts, the apostle Paul, uh, in Acts chapter 20, he's the, Paul is preaching a sermon, and in that sermon, he also talks about false teacher, and he also refers to them as savage wolves, seeking to, to put down God's people. He calls them men who are speaking twisted things. They are twisting the truth about God. And then another apostle, Peter, in 2 Peter chapter two, he also talked about false teachers, and he said that they are teaching destructive heresies that are going to lead us to swift destruction. So we've got to remember what God said about these people. We have to remember that Jesus and his apostles have already told us that they are coming, that they are going to be around, that we have to be on alert at all times. You see, we can't just trust what everybody says just because they've got a Bible in their hand or just because they call themselves a pastor or a preacher. It's, and that's even from this stage because we rely on you as our congregation. We have elders, we have deacons, we have you as just ordinary church members. You are supposed to hold us accountable to the truth of God's word. Because turns out, we're all fallen sinful people too. And we can be led astray by our own sinful, selfish desires or by other people that we listen to and lead us in the wrong direction. And so we've got to remember the truth of God's word, the warnings that he has set before us. Not only do we remember God's warnings, we also need to remain in God's love. 
So in the midst of all the, the hardship that these false teachers can bring about for us, we need to remain in the love of God. We need to trust and uh, just rest in the love that God has for us. That's what he says in um, verse 20, he says, but you beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Man, Jude has spent a lot of time talking about the destruction and the judgment and condemnation that these false teachers can lead us to. But here in verse 21, he says that if we remain in the truth, if we remain in the love of God, he leads us to eternal life. And so what we need to do is keep ourselves in God's love. We need to build up our holy faith. We do that by clinging to the truth that we find in God's word, how he, as a holy God, all-powerful, has revealed himself to us. And so anything that we hear, anything that's preached from whatever stage, we need to compare it to what we actually see in this book. We remain in God's love and we build up our faith by, by going back to the scriptures. And we pray in the Holy Spirit. And we wait and we trust in Jesus. So we remember his warnings, we remain in his love, and then lastly, we reach out to God's enemies. That might seem a little odd to us. It's like, we're, we're supposed to do what to God's enemies now? Like, you, Jude, you just spent like almost all 25 of your verses here telling us about all the bad things that God is going to do to these false teachers how he's going to punish and condemn them. He's gonna take them to a place of destruction because that's what they rightfully deserve as false teachers. And yes, if nothing else, Jude has been very clear that God is going to judge his enemies. God is going to condemn his enemies. But remember, it is God who will judge his enemies. That is not what he tells us to do. How does he ask, how does he command us to respond to these people? Verse 22, he says, have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. You see, our job is to reach out to those who have been led astray. And so you might even say now, like, of course, like the ones who've been led astray by the false teachers, well, what about the false teachers themselves? Well, they've also been led astray. Somebody else taught them the wrong thing or caused them to believe the wrong things about God. And it may have ultimately been Satan himself that did that, but they have still been led astray. And so our job as believers is not for us to sit in a place of judgment and condemnation over them, our job is to show them mercy and to do everything we can to snatch them out of the fire, snatch them away from the path of destruction that they're walking down and trying to lead others down. We reach out to the enemies of God by showing mercy, displaying grace to them, and by doing everything we can to declare the truth to them. See. Uh, 
We talked about 1 Peter a few weeks ago, and so there's a real popular verse that is used a lot in like apologetics and defending the faith, and it says, always be ready, always have a defense for the hope that is in you, right? Well, there's the last part of that verse that when people are quoting it, many people tend to forget about it. It says, always have a defense, but do it with gentleness and respect. So we do not approach them with this, this heavy-handed browbeating. We approach the enemies of God with gentleness and respect and with mercy. And there's a really good reason why we need to do that. You see, we were once enemies of God. Colossians chapter one, verse 21 says that we were all once enemies of God, but it is by his grace that he has saved us. That, that God loved us so much that he sent his son for us and that his son lived a perfect life and preached the truth perfectly to everyone who would listen and then he gave his life on the cross. And he defeated sin and death in his resurrection. And then he gave us this mission to declare the truth to all nations. And so there are lots of enemies of God who are still out there in the world, lots of enemies who are proclaiming a false gospel. And our job is not just to, uh, to, to declare the truth and to try to prove them wrong. Our job is to actually reach out to those people who are declaring these falsehoods and expose them to the truth of the gospel so that they too might come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Maybe there's someone here today who still falls into that category of being an enemy of God. Maybe some of you today know that you believe something that isn't true. And God is revealing that to you right now. You don't believe that you need a savior. You don't believe that the lifestyle you're leading is actually all that bad. Maybe you're telling other people, maybe you're the false teacher, maybe you're proclaiming things that go against scripture. Yeah, I know God's word says this, but I think this is really what we need to believe and what we should do. And if that, any of those things describe you, you are considered God's enemy right now. And, and ultimately, there is, as we've seen, there is punishment of an eternal nature for people who are enemies of God. But in his love for us, he has made a way of salvation for us that we can repent of our sins, that we can turn away from the falsehoods that we have chosen to believe, and we can enter into the truth, the way, the truth, and the life that is Jesus Christ. So let me, let me tell you how we're gonna end things today. Um, the last couple of verses of Jude is a doxology. It's actually the verses that we read at the very beginning of the service. That's the way Jude ends his letter. And so I thought it'd be real appropriate for us to end my, my time of preaching today by reading that over the congregation. And then what's gonna happen after that is I'm gonna pray and then uh, the, the band is, that's coming up behind me, they're going to lead us in another song. And when that happens, this door right over here to my left and your right, this is our decision counseling room. You're gonna have an opportunity to come forward and have a conversation with somebody in that room. You can talk to them all about whatever it is that God might be speaking to you right now. 
If you're not comfortable coming forward during the time while we're singing, that room's gonna stay open. There's still gonna be people in there after the service ends today for a few minutes after we're done. I wanna encourage you to respond to the truth of God's word and be obedient to whatever it is that God is leading you to do. Jude, verse 24. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Let's pray. Our gracious heavenly Father, we, we praise you. We adore you for who you are and all that you have done. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in your word, that we can look to your word and we can find truth. And we thank you for revealing yourself to us in your son, Jesus and that we can look to him and we can find life. God, I pray for these people today. I pray that we would respond in an act of worship to you because that is what you rightfully deserve. And I pray that there would be people here today who would turn away from the lies that they have chosen to believe in the past and they would step into the truth and the life that you have made available to us. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. It is in his holy name we pray. Amen.